and welcome to the Personal Investor Podcast. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, it's a quarterly investment outlook special where we put your questions to the Outlook's author, Tom Stevenson. Questions this time covered a wide range of topics with investors searching for clues to how several key stories in the markets will play out. Hopefully, we've got some answers for them. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us, or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. Each quarter, Fidelity publishes its investment outlook, a snapshot of the market's landscape that rounds up the issues on the minds of investors. An invaluable part of that is the questions that we invite you to submit to us, and in particular to the Outlook's author, Tom Stevenson. Tom and I have answered some of those questions in a special video that accompanies the Outlook. You can find that as well as the Outlook itself at the Markets and Insights section of our website at fidelity.co.uk. Now, the podcast this week takes on even more of those questions, and I'm pleased to say that Tom is here with me to do that. Tom, welcome along. Um, Before we get into the questions, let's talk about markets uh, in the time since uh, the last outlook, which was back in January. Um, We have had a pretty big wobble in that time, thanks to some worries about banks, of course. Uh, But stock markets have done their best to get over that touch wood. And the mood, dare I say, it does feel a bit more upbeat. Yes, it's been a um, it's been a pretty good start to the year up and down, I have to say. I mean, January was 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 very strong. Um, uh, February, uh, the brakes were slammed on a bit uh, when it became clear that, that actually the, the central banks and the Federal Reserve in particular were serious about getting on top of inflation. Um, some comments from uh, Jerome Powell really really slowed that uh, that January advance and then of course in in March we had the uh, the issues with with the banking sector so there's been quite a lot to worry about in the quarter but despite all of that um, pretty much wherever you look um, markets have advanced and yeah as you say does there is a feeling that spring is in the air yeah, well, good. Well, on that note, on that positive note, Tom, um, let's get into the questions. Uh, now, the first one is this. Uh, now that bond prices have corrected, what is a reasonable estimate for the returns on bond funds on a forward view basis? So assuming no more big shocks. So bonds, what have they done? So, yeah, good question. Um, I think, you know, there are two elements to, to the returns from uh, bonds. One is... Uh, the income that they um, that they pay you uh, as an investor, and the other is the possibility of a of a of a capital gain, which in in the case of government bonds is essentially uh, created when interest rates fall. Um, so um, so the time to invest in bonds is when you anticipate that interest rates are going to fall, which is pretty much now. I mean, we are approaching. We think that we are approaching the top of the interest rate cycle and in due course interest rates will start to fall so um, I think now is an interesting time to be looking at bonds because um, the rise in interest rates has pushed bond yields higher so the income that you're able to generate from the bonds is pretty good at the moment you know maybe three four percent and if on top of that you can add in some kind of capital gain from from falling interest rates. I think you might be looking at five or six percent from bonds, which yeah. you know is pretty good return. This question uh, we had loads that reflected the same thing, and if people go to watch the video, we've answered a similar question. Uh, and I guess there's a simple reason for that, which is that bonds have been a painful place to be in the last year. 
losses are always painful, but for bonds, which are supposed to be the ballast in a portfolio, that makes it particularly painful, doesn't it? And people want to know that they're going to resume their kind of steady role. Yes, I mean, last year was a particularly bad year for investors for the reason that you hint at there, which is that both shares and mm. bonds fell at the same time. Normally, you would expect them to offset each other. As you say, bonds provide some balance, in, uh, some ballast and some balance in a, in a portfolio. Um, we didn't get that last year. But, of course, that has now set us up uh, with the current situation whereby the yields on bonds are, are pretty attractive. And if interest rates do fall, then you might get this capital gain as well. So... Um, yeah, it was a painful year last year, but we're in a better place now. And just finally, Tom, just on this on this question about bond funds, just a, a word, if you will, on on how the returns from bond funds actually come through, because clearly, as you've said in your answer, yields being high, that's that's part of a return that you would get from holding a bond, but you, that can negatively affect the price. So, when it comes to bond funds, where's that balance lie? Well, I mean, a bond fund is a is is a portfolio of individual bonds. So all of those bonds will be paying an income to to the manager, which will be passed on to you um, as income uh, from the fund. And then what you're hoping is that on top of that, the the manager will choose the the, the right bonds to benefit from any movements in in interest rates. Okay. Okay. Well, let's move on for now, Tom. Um, another question, actually, that, that uh, we got we got. Well, on a topic that we got many questions on, uh, which was US tech. And the question is this, Tom. When do you think US tech stocks will start to show a sustained rise? And how long do you think it will take for eventual US interest rate reductions to feed into that rise? Mm. Um, It's a very informed question. They've alighted on really the reason that tech has struggled. Yes. Well, I mean, the first the first part of the question is around uh, the uh, the rise, the the possibility of a sustained rise in in tech stock uh, values. We've already seen that, actually. I mean, you know, a key driver of markets in the first three months of this year has actually been the performance of the biggest stocks in the US market, which tend to be tend to be technology uh, stocks. Now, um, they have done well. And one of the reasons why they've done well is in anticipation of the second part of the question, which is that interest rates are going to come down. Tech stocks are particularly exposed to movements in, in, in interest rates because they're used to get a sense of what a fair value for, for, for tech stocks um, uh, in particular. And so uh, in anticipation of falling interest rates, tech stocks have risen just as last year, as interest rates were going up, tech stocks really bore the brunt of that, uh, of that pressure. So uh, the part of the question was, when's it going to happen? Yeah. Um, th- that's tricky because markets do anticipate um, uh, changes. I, I, I think that um, we're getting close to the the, the the peak of this cycle. I mean, we've got um, uh, an interest rate announcement uh, in the US on the 4th of May, so pretty soon um, uh, now. Um, I think the consensus is that there might be one more quarter point rise um, uh, on the cards in, in the US, but that will probably be it. Um, so then the question arises, well, when do interest rates start falling? Because inflation is still, you know, not a problem that's been solved. Inflation is still there and and, and, and central banks are looking at it with some caution. I don't think they're going to be in a hurry to bring interest rates down unless 
the economy really slows and、mm. they feel they need to stimulate the economy. It's a, we're in a very interesting transition phase for the economy, for corporate earnings, and for, for interest rates. I think this year is, is fascinating from that point of view. Well, the next question, Tom, feeds into exactly that theme.、Um, it's actually in two parts. I'm going to ask the first part first, if that's okay. It says, I understand that stock market falls have often occurred, ironically, when the Fed cuts rates. Not sure about that. Maybe it does.、Um, with, US, with the US market still looking overvalued, what's your view on this happening in late 2023 or early 2024? So, what are the chances of stock market falls as the Fed cuts rates? Yes. Well, that again, that, that's actually quite an informed question.、Um, and it's true that、um, uh, markets do often fall. Um, just as interest rates are peaking and beginning to, to come down.、Okay. The reason is, you know, you have to ask yourself why are interest rates falling? The reason that interest rates are falling is that、um, the central bank decides that they've done enough to slow the economy, to get on top of inflation, and actually, probably, they've done a bit too much,、yeah. and, that and that they're running to catch up to prevent. Um, the economy heading towards、uh, a recession. So, so, what investors are doing is yes, they're looking at falling interest rates, which is normally a positive for markets, but they're also looking at the reason why interest rates have started to come down. And that's generally because the economy is beginning to struggle. So, basically, the question is hinting at well, how does, how's the stock market going to handle an economic slowdown, a genuine slowdown, whatever that actually ends up being? Yes.、Like? And the answer is that probably by that stage, The stock market,、uh, once, it's, once it's had its initial、um, reset, if you like,、uh, on, on the basis that we're heading towards a recession, you know, at some point it then starts looking through the recession、yeah. to the recovery. So it's, you know, there's always, a, there's always a, a mismatch in terms of timing between、yes. the stock market and what's actually going on in the economy. So the, the, the stock market will start turning up again. Um, well, before the end of the recession, if that's, if that's、mm-hmm. where we're headed. In fact, probably while the, while the, while the, the economy is still、um, falling, it's still slowing down. Well, I, I said there w a s two parts to this question, and the second part,、uh, Tom, is related. It's this Has the Fed and the Bank of England already tightened too much? And, and are they likely to send the US straight UK into recession? Yeah, another very good question.、Uh, and I think that the answer. Is probably yes. And the, and, and the reason I say it's, it's yes is because that tends to be what happens.、Um, central banks,、um, uh, they, don't, they, they don't operate with the benefit of foresight. They're, they're, they're looking backwards、um, to, to an extent. And so they tend to overdo things, they tend to tighten until something breaks.、Mm. Um, and so I, I think there is a, there is a growing fear. Um, that, um, that the Federal Reserve, in particular, which has tightened more aggressively than, than other central banks around the world, you know, may have actually, for good reason, you know, they, ax- they, they, they wanted to get on top of inflation, for, and, and that's the right thing to do. Inflation is a, is a killer for, for, for economies and for, and, for, and for markets. They wanted to get on top of inflation, but in order to do that, they have probably pushed. Interest rates too high,、um, and I think that the odds of recession are much shorter than they were. Indeed, in house、uh, here at Fidelity, our strategists now put uh, 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 a percentage chance of a 
what they call a cyclical recession, so not a not a particularly deep recession, but a mild recession at 80%. So the feeling is that the, the US does go into into a mild recession later this year or the beginning of next year. And, and you know, economic cycles are the norm, aren't they? I mean, that's not always to say that the downturn is recessionary, but slowdowns and sometimes recessions are all part of it. Yeah, it is. It's it, it, it's it's par for the course, and um, you know that's how that's what central banks do. They have to they have to manage that that pendulum swing of, of the economy, um, and they have to lean into um, you know the, the the expansion of the economy and the contraction of the economy to counter it um, to try and keep things on a on an even keel. But it's impossible to keep things on an absolutely even keel. There'll be there'll be mild swings either way. Okay, well, let's move on from rates and the central banks for now, Tom. Uh, The next question is this. I am thinking of diversifying my portfolio by investing in one or more smaller companies' funds. Could you tell me more about what the advantages and disadvantages are of investing in this part of the market? So, small companies. Well, uh, um, there's a saying that there's a saying uh, elephants don't gallop. Um, and, you know, uh, w- what that means is that um, uh, it's an argument for investing in, in, in small companies. What it says is that, you know, small companies by their very nature have more room to grow. Um, uh, and it's true, you know, you, you invest in large companies for stability and security, the sense that these companies have been around for a long time. But the price that you pay for that is probably that they, they, they don't have the ability to grow very fast. But if you can find a small, innovative uh, company which is operating in an, you know, an interesting niche of the market or, or, or um, demand for its product is growing, then if it starts out small, it has the potential to grow a lot. Yeah. Um, possibly over many years. So that, that, that's, that's what people are looking for when they're investing in small companies. Now, um, obviously, there is a price that you pay for that potential growth, and that is greater volatility, um, uh, a greater chance that the company will simply you know, fail. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, ele- elephants don't tend to just keel over either. That's yeah. the, the flip side of that, yeah. that equation, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're, 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 they're solid and reliable. So, um, you know, you pays your money and you, and you makes your choice, really, you know, uh, and probably you, you probably want exposure to a bit of both. You want to invest in some large companies for the stability and maybe for the income that they provide because they're more mature and they're probably paying out more of their uh, earnings to, to shareholders. You want to have some uh, small cap exposure to get the, the, the growth uh, and accept that probably most of most of the earnings of that company are going to be ploughed back into the company and they're not going to be paid out to as an income. That's why you need a bit of both. And, and one of the um, sort of supposed re- uh, received wisdoms of investing is that small beats large when it comes to companies. That's really been tested, hasn't it? In, in kind of a similar way that emerging markets versus developed markets have been tested in the sense that some very, very large companies in, in world markets have been growing incredibly quickly. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, the tech companies in particular mm. in the US, they've had growth rates that um, a lot of smaller companies would love to, to be able to show off. So that's sort of eaten the lunch slightly of the, the smaller companies part of the market. Yes, and I, I don't think that you can you can make those generalizations. Uh, you know, some some small cap companies will grow very fast. Some large cap companies will grow very fast. Some people say that there's a bit in the middle. There's a kind of sweet spot in the middle. Yeah. Um, and if you look at the UK market, that 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 is evidenced by the performance of the FTSE 250 uh, index. 
um, over the years, which actually has been a very strong part of the market and has delivered fant- fantastic growth. Because what you're getting with a FTSE 250 company is probably a degree of reassurance and security that this company has been around for a while. I mean, it's not a it's not a flash in the pan. It's not a startup. Mm. Um, but it hasn't yet got to that sort of you know slightly dull stage where it's not growing it's very, very much and it's, yeah. and it's predictable and it's just paying you paying you an income so actually i think the the, the FTSE 250 is a very interesting part of the market to look yeah at. that's what people call the mid the mid cap yeah the the, 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 the the mid cap sweet spot um yeah. and just finally on this question the experience of doing it uh, likely to be through a fund but uh probably an active fund i don't know how much or how many passive uh, funds would would be operating in that specific part of the market, but it does make sense to go active, does it not? Because these are companies that are going to be less well researched. You probably do want a fund manager or a team going out, looking at businesses, establishing some sort of fundamental details that would be readily available to everyone uh, in a large multinational type setting but for smaller companies you probably do need that expertise yeah i think that's where uh, an active fund management approach comes into its own um where you're, you're looking for your for your the manager of your your funds to have some kind of information advantage some kind of edge um which the market generally do, does does not have that's very unlikely uh, among large cap companies because uh, you know the information about those companies is as you say in the public domain is, is is largely well known but a lot of these smaller companies they're not well known and so so uh, an investor who you know has a good relationship with the company can analyze the 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 books in detail probably can get an advantage okay well let's move on for now tom uh the next question uh is this any specific thoughts on the current climate in the asian markets especially india and china would be of interest to me performance of my indian funds in the past six months has been poor for instance uh is there any reason for optimism for the rest of the year so india china and india in particular Yes, well, I mean, India and China are obviously the two the two big Asian markets, and they're and they're very different. Um, I mean, uh, uh, it's possible that the, the the Indian investments have not performed very well recently, but over the longer term, say over the last ten years, uh, the Indian stock market has been a fantastic yeah. uh, performer, uh, much better actually than 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 the Chinese uh, market. Uh, as a consequence, um, the Indian market is quite expensively. Valued, and I think that many investors are slightly nervous about the valuation attached to to the Indian market. That said, um, the domestic investor in, in India is still pouring a lot of money into the Indian market, and that's what's supporting it at these quite elevated valuation uh, levels. When you look at China, it's a completely different story. China is emerging from uh, COVID uh, very rapidly. Um, uh, just this morning, actually, we had some yeah. um, some GDP data on China, which suggests that uh, it's it's really growing um, very strongly, and it's pretty cheap. Um, so again, as with as with all of these discussions we have about different different markets around the world, um, you know, a diversified approach probably makes sense to have a you know uh, in this case a bit of India and a bit of China. Okay, okay. Well, let's move on now, uh, Tom. So the next question, which again is in in two parts. So the first part of this uh, asks, with the current climate in the markets, is it still worth buying and holding on to the FTSE 100 and the S&P 500 ETFs? Now, so, well, those markets, but those products 
particularly? Yes. So, I mean, so uh, a FTSE 100 and an S&P 500 ETF are almost certainly, uh, or well, by definition, they are passive funds. So they're vanilla. Plain vanilla, tracking market funds which are designed to just track the performance of that index. So I think for, for an investor, you know, on either side of the Atlantic, they probably represent a core holding in your, yeah. uh, in your investments. And that's probably um, how, how, how you sh- you should see them um remind me of the first part of the question then. so well it was just saying is it worth buying and holding them so presumably yeah. that's just the same I, thing really is it worth investing in these major markets yes I mean, uh, and and i think uh yes yes it is from a core holding perspective yeah i think from a from a more tactical you know is this the right market perspective i think they're quite different again yeah. so the s p 500 um has performed extremely well uh in in recent years not last year um uh, and it is uh, as a consequence like the indian market we've just discussed um, very highly valued it's quite expensive the uk market um uh, by contrast has not performed well over the long haul and is much cheaper than mm-hmm. than the US market so there is an argument for holding both of them I mean the the US is is crammed full of um, you know high growth uh, stocks and probably the the US economy is a is a more interesting economy to invest in than the UK uh, economy is but the UK stock market is 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 much better value than the than the than the US market. Okay, well, I did say there was another part to this question. Um, I suspect there might be quite a short answer to this, Tom, and it's uh, it is this: and which funds would be excellent to add to my portfolio to achieve a ten percent annual return as a minimum? That's a very demanding. <laughs> uh, that's a very demanding hurdle that 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 question has. You set. might get it this year. You might I mean, I don't want to make too many predictions. You might but... get it in any uh, individual year. I mean, that's yeah. the nature of the stock markets. They go up and down. But um, I, would, I would say to, 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 to aspire to achieving 10% a year punchy. consistently, that's a very, that's a very punchy uh, requ- requirement. Yeah, and it's understandable from the point of view that, you know, we talk about inflation a lot. And if the stock market can't match inflation, there's a pretty reasonable question about whether you should be investing in it. But you've got to look at things averaged out over long periods, don't you? And inflation probably won't be as high as it has been and will be this year, every year. Yeah. And so the the stock market should should settle down, yeah. maybe not at 10%. But. And in the long run, the stock market um, has delivered uh, in real inflation-adjusted terms something like 5 or 6%. So it's a beaten inflation by 5 or 6 percentage points a year over the very long haul. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm talking, you know, right back to the beginning of the 20th uh, century. Uh, so, uh, you know, and that probably that probably is not far away from 10 percent. It's probably seven or eight yeah. percent in, in absolute terms, because, as you say, inflation is not going to stay at 10 percent um, indefinitely. Well, we hope it isn't. No. And obviously, look, there's. We, we we actually don't have a question today about um, cash versus the stock market. We mm. did in the video if people want to uh, that we've recorded if people want to go and watch that. But it's been interesting to me that people talk about um, cash producing four to five percent, no risk of cash losses, mm. uh, that being quite attractive. Um, obviously, the stock market different set of risks, and you can lose money. We've just had a bad year for all sorts of um, financial assets. But you look at what the stock market's done in this year so far 
it's it's probably got your five percent, and we're in April. in three months. Yeah, yeah. Now, who knows what's going to happen? But the the point about that is is the stock market does have the power to produce much more accelerated returns for periods. Mm. It won't be consistent, but over over as we said over the long periods, hopefully you do get a higher return. Yeah, and and you know you look at that five percent return that you might be looking to get on cash at the moment and in real terms yeah. that's actually a worse return than probably would have been the case um when interest rates were down close to zero because yeah. inflation was also down then uh so i think you know people should be cautious about thinking that now is the moment to go into cash um they are locking in a a a, a real um reduction in the value of their money okay well let's uh, let's get uh, through a couple more questions if we can tom um now this one <laughs> I suspect we're going to get asked this question more and more over the coming months, whether we like it or not. And the question is this. If Donald Trump was to win the next election, how would stock markets react? Mm. It's a very good question, a very interesting question. Um, uh, and the short answer, of course, is we, we, we don't know. Um, but what we do know is what happened last time, because, of course, yeah. Donald Trump has been the president for one for one term. And if you go back to 2016, ahead of the ahead of the election, there were lots of hand wringing pieces about, you know, well, well if 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 Donald Trump wins the election, the markets are going to crash and blah, 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 blah. Um, I actually had a look at this because I because I, I, I knew that this question was likely to come up. I had a look at what happened between 2016 and, and, and 2020. And actually, markets performed pretty well. And the two best performing markets of all in that four year period were the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq Composite. Yeah. So actually, um, Donald Trump in his first term was good for investors. And, and there was doesn't mean he will be this time. Of course, uh, but you can, and the specifics of that was a, a, a really chunky tax cut for corporates in the US. Um, but it's really hard because actually, if you look back, I mean, Donald Trump changed quite a lot in the time that he was there. He was always pretty bellicose in his rhetoric, but right at the start of him being elected, he could still squint and, and say, well, some of this is conventional economic thinking around reshoring um tax cuts you know whatever you personally agree there's a sort of there is a a, a kind of an ideology behind that and it became sort of more wild as as time went on who knows what would happen if you got him again i think the geopolitical picture would be very volatile because of what he said about russia ukraine that's a story that has fed into the inflation story mm. It would be pretty difficult to predict, wouldn't it? Um, even if his instincts would be to cut tax or what have you. Yeah, and 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 whatever you say in in terms of generalising, I think you know clearly there'll be winners and losers, and you know there are there are certain sectors that would probably um, you would expect to do well under a, under a Trump presidency. Um, maybe the traditional energy companies, you know, you would expect maybe renewables, electric cars to do less well. He's, he's not so keen on them. Um, but yeah, you, you, you can't absolutely, there is no one size fits all answer to that question. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, the last question, Tom, is, uh, is this. I've been recently looking into whiskey as an investment. It's uh, capital gains tax free, diversifying and supposedly offering a decent rate of return. Any thoughts? Now, um, 
we don't offer wine investments as a company, but mm. uh, I thought it was an interesting uh, question. So, yeah, well, I mean, alternative assets have their moments. I mean, whether it's classic cars or uh, whiskey or um, paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, ultimately, uh, they depend on the fact that um, the old Mark Twain thing about, you know, um, buy land, they don't make it anymore. You know, they don't yeah. make they don't make, you know, 20 year old whiskey anymore. Um, and uh, so that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is the demand side of it. Um, uh, and, and this has always been the argument for, for, for things like, um, you know, expensive claret, for example, is that there is a limited supply. And with the growth of um, uh, high spending um, middle classes in places like China and India, we've talked about, um, there is always going to be a lot of demand for these for these products. And so, you know, just on a pure supply and demand basis, you would say, you know, that there are tailwinds to, to an investment in something like, you know, high quality malt whiskey or... It, it was an interesting question. And the thing that jumped out at me is when, when the, the, the questioner said, it's capital gains tax free. And I thought, how could that be? It's, it's true. It, well, in, under certain circumstances, that is true. Now, Tom, I'm going to ask you, do you know why whiskey might be free from capital gains tax? No, I don't. Oh, I thought I really thought you were going to know the answer to this, Tom. <laughs> the answer is that it's regarded as a wasting asset. The tax ah, man yes. doesn't think it will last more than 50 years, yeah. which is not true of, say, a painting or property yeah, or what yeah, have yeah. you. So it says that um, it's quite happy for you to sell it within that 50 years because after a certain point, it's going to lose all its value. Um, that should be quite informative of, of its status as an investment in general. But... Um, you know, I don't know the, all the ins and outs of it. I've just had a quick sort of uh, Google around, but uh, I think it matters. I think you have to ha- have it in a keg or a cask. It's the tax status changes once it's been bottled, for example. Yeah. Um, and and in, as an investment, and I guess is this is the sort of the worthwhile part of this question is that you know when you're you're storing whiskey, there's probably all sorts of ways that that you should and shouldn't store whiskey. And that can affect the quality of it. That's going to be uh, a germane factor when you come to sell it. And you might have lots of tailwinds, as you say, for something like a whiskey investment or fine wine or whatever. But a lot depends on how you keep it. And you might destroy value uh, Mm. if you get it wrong. Or you might drink it. You might drink it. Yeah, that's (laughs) that's also worth remembering. Well, I've learned something. Thank yeah, you. Good. Well, Tom, look, we've answered absolutely loads of questions there, but I am afraid that that's all we have time for now. Uh, thanks so much for coming in to answer them, Tom. I'll remind listeners again that the Investment Outlook is available to read at the Markets and Insights section at fidelity.co.uk. There's also a series of videos recorded by Tom, um, and there's a Q&A video that I've mentioned a couple of times where we answer more of your questions. That is it for now. Thanks for listening. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more 
volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.